open your Bibles to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, uh, we'll be going back to that passage that we were at last week. Remember, we were last week, uh, we were looking at these two perspectives. So we had our, our guys up here that uh, have different perspectives of their same situation. And we looked last week at uh, Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 33 from the perspective of uh, the pictures that we see, that we saw in it. And um, today, Lord willing, we'll be taking, looking at the, the purpose, the purpose, or just a more practical way to think about it. We've been looking at um, or thinking about uh, the vertical relationship, our vertical perspective with God, our relationship with God, and then also the horizontal perspective, our relationship with one another. And we'll get, last week we didn't get into that that much, but we'll get into that this week and some some thoughts as we think about that perspective. Uh, just uh, by way of reminder, uh, Phil's always good at doing reviews, so just a quick review of last week. We looked at a couple pictures, the first picture being Christ in the church. We thought about Adam and Eve being that first example of marriage, uh, and that example of uh, Christ in the church, and then church relationships with Christ. We thought about that it's inseparable, intimate, and growing. The second picture we looked at was Christ as the head of the body of the church. Uh, He is not only the head, but also her savior. Uh, We thought a little bit about that last week, and it's kind of, um, I'll call it a a morphing picture from uh, that marriage relationship and the two becoming one flesh and thinking about that, that they're, they're now one together and we think about Christ as being our, our head in the church, uh, being one body with him. And then finally, we thought about the, the worth of the church. We closed that out, uh, both corporately and individually, um, because what Christ has done for us, right? He paid a great price for us. He gave us an incomparable position as his bride, and he treats us as something precious. He takes care of us. And so... Um, those are the things we thought about last week. So today we're going to talk about the purpose of the passage. And the purpose of the passage is is kind of twofold. There's one, God's plan for a marriage relationship. And I think I've heard a lot of messages about that. But as we, as we think about that, there's also a clearly um, pictured there or clearly taught Christ's relationship to the church. <laughs> There's a lot of things revealed, uh, even in uh, verse 32, it, it talks about this mystery, and he's not speaking of marriage, he talks uh, this mystery, he's referring to Christ and the church. Um, so there's this parallelism that's in this passage that shows the similarity between what we can see, right, this vi- vi- visible a human interaction or relationship, and then uh, this unseen relationship that we have between Christ and his church. Um, This mystery that Paul talks about of Christ in the church, right? A mystery being something that's revealed in the New Testament that wasn't revealed by God in the Old Testament. 
this revelation of first the church itself, but then also her position uh, to Christ as his bride. Uh, the examples of Paul going beyond the parallel human marriage, he goes beyond that when he talks about his relationship with Christ and the church. Um, and so there's points in this passage where we need to be careful of not drawing too many conclusions from those parts of the passage where Paul is expounding beyond the beyond just the human marriage and going on and saying what Christ has done for us. What do I mean by that? Uh, first, he talks about Christ being the savior of the church. Um, I don't know if you've heard, I haven't heard any, I specifically can't think of any messages, but I think we want to be careful that the husband is not the savior of his wife, right? That is something that's beyond the marriage relationship that he's talking about. There's also the the thought of Christ presenting the church as without spot and wrinkle, that she should be holy and without blemish. Um, (laughs) We would not say that the husband's doing that for his wife. I mean, that's not... That's not his position. So these are things that God's uh, revealing through Paul that go beyond the the relationship that's there, the parallel of the human relationship that he's showing what Christ has done, even beyond that for the church. Um, So before we get into the passage, I want to look at the, the few verses in front for some context. So we'll Ephesians 5 and verse 18. Let me read verse 18 through 21. It says this, And do not be drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with our hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the father and be subject or submissive to one another in the fear of the Lord. There are at least four things uh, from that passage or that from before we get into the context of husband and wife and this Christ in the church before he gets that specific uh, example that he talks and says that the believer uh, should be doing. First is to be filled with the Spirit, literally to be filled up, to be full of the Spirit. The, The second is for us to be speaking and singing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and making melody to the Lord. Uh I don't think I've thought much about that, of how much music is a part of what God's plan and desire is for our lives. I always think of the impact that music has, uh, you know, I, as I listen to it, as I think about it, our, maybe our ability almost to memorize things that we listen to musically much easier than if we tried to put it uh, to, to memory a different way. But Music is part of our interaction with one another, uh, as well as our interaction with God. And, and so I, I just find it interesting that um, he talks about that. Third, we're to give thanks always. Um, it's really easy not to give thanks, isn't it? Uh, so we're reminded by that from Paul. And lastly, um, and this is 
why I wanted to read this for context, we're, we're told to submit to one another. This is a call for all believers, both men and women, to submit to each other. And that's kind of the context before Paul moves into this specific relationships in the next sections, right? He talks about husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and bond servants. And so uh, this morning, we're only going to talk about that first section of husbands and wives. We're not going to go into the parent-children and master-bond-servant relationships there, but he, he does give some uh, further instruction there. William McDonald, in his commentary, he states that the fact that all believers are one in Christ Jesus does not mean that earthly relationships are abolished or taken away. We still respect the various forms of authority and government which God has instituted. So there's still this, even though we're all one in Christ, there's still uh, an authority uh, structure that's in, in place that we have to obey. Uh, let's go to the to next section. I'm going to read verses 22 through 24. It says, Wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being savior of the body. But as the church is submissive or subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Uh, Paul starts with his instruction for the wife's posture toward the husband. I've read a lot of commentaries and every one of them says that that word submissive or being submissive is not actually in that first verse. It's a carryover from the previous verse. It's uh, so that's why I read those for context. And, and so as we think about the wife submitting to the husband, it's in the context of us submitting to one another. She is to, to submit as to the Lord um, there are two thoughts that, that came out in, in my study of this. The first, that her submission is to be as if she were submitting, if she, if she were submitting to the Lord's authority. Uh, but Albert Lackey in what the commentary for what the Bible teaches provided another viewpoint. It says it refers that her submission must not be in conflict with supreme loyalty to her Lord. So there's, uh, if you're asked to, to do something that's in direct conflict with what God has told us to do, uh, there's kind of a, a, for her to do it as to the Lord. So she is to obey the Lord first. Uh, in either view, her submission is not based on her husband's abilities, not based on her ability, his abilities. Uh, her submission is based on the God-ordained headship, and we'll talk a little bit more about that because it's kind of a word uh, we, we shy away from here in the church and we shy away from in culture. Uh, so uh, as, the, as the church, we are to submit to Christ. Think, of, think about that. We are to submit to him. I don't think anybody would... I disagree with that. Um, Paul expounds of why we should submit to him. His, his position goes beyond just that he's our head. He's also our savior. Uh, I want to reemphasize that Paul is not teaching that husbands 
are the savior of their wives. Uh, He's not teaching that in any way. He's just showing that beyond this husband and wife relationship, this is what Christ has done even beyond. And it's another reason that we, as the church, should submit to him. As we were thinking about the wife in the marriage relationship and us as the church, let's look at two words that I want to look at deeper. The first one is headship, and the second one is submission. So headship, I would simply define biblical headship as this, as the giving, as a God-given authority in a relationship, the God-given authority in a relationship. And this authority structure is given to us in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. If you want to turn there, you can. Um, I'll read it very quickly here. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. He says, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of woman and God is the head of Christ. So it goes, God, Jesus, man, woman. And I think you could take that a little bit further, although there's, you know, parents are responsible for their children uh, man has dominion over creation as well. Uh, so there's this headship thought. But therefore, man is the head of the woman as Christ is the head of man. Headship, I want to be very clear this morning, is not equivalent to lordship. According to Webster's Dictionary, lordship is defined as the authority or power of a person who has authority, control, or power over others. It's synonymous with being a master or a ruler. The husband is not, in this case, told that he is the master of the ruler. He's just, that is not his position as the head. The headship position is get, given by God not to ex, exhort power or control over others. Let me say that again. The headship position is not given by God to exhort power or control over by others. Biblical headship does not convey inferiority or superiority. Um, Just think of the relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ. It says that God is the head of Jesus Christ. So they are equal members of the Godhead. Yet it says that Jesus Christ's head is the Father. So headship does not convey inferiority, superiority. And in that, so man and women are equal members. It's not, it's not trying to say that they're not equal members in the headship. It doesn't convey that, that thought. Just thinking about us as the church, our head is Christ. And I say this, it's not the elders. It's not the deacons. The head is Christ. I think there's a purpose for this, right? There's unity in that head. We're all pointing to the same one. Uh, I'm going to tell you, quite frankly, elders have different positions, different thoughts, different ways. So if we're following them, you could get a lot of different things. So there's a unity in Christ. There's also this access to God from Christ. Right? We don't 
We don't go to others. We don't pray to others. We pray to Jesus Christ alone, have direct access to the Father through him. He is our head. Second, so headship, biblical headship, is a God-given authority in a relationship. Uh, second word is submission. This, <laughs> you'll be surprised what you find out there when you look for a definition of submission. I, I was, uh, Sarah and I were looking at a, a few, and, and quite frankly, there is some definitions of submission out there that aren't, aren't the biblical definition of submission. I would define submission as a a voluntary giving up of your rights or will to put yourself under the authority or will of another. It's a voluntary. That means it's a personal choice. Uh, You you have a choice to submit or not. Um, Submitting comes from a place of strength. It's a, you have a, you're, you're making a, a, a choice to allow another to do it. So it's a place of strength and it takes discipline, honor, and trust. Because um, uh, discipline to, to think about that uh, in, in, all, in all cases when you're, you're supposed to submit to others. Um, just thinking about this, I thought there's four ways to, to respond to authority. Uh, the first, obviously, is rebellion, out-and-out out rebellion, disobedience. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to obey the authority. The second is compulsion, compulsion. So it's a paying because you have to. It's non-voluntary, non-voluntary. Um, the example, uh, I, I would say, uh, in the early years of, of parenting children, they have some, they are compelled to do some things that they do not want to do. Um, so it's compulsion. Then there's this word compliance. Um, Steve gave me a, a message from Wauwatosa Bible Chapel of someone speaking on this submission, and he used the word compliance. And I, I thought it was a, a great thought that uh, uh, of obeying because you feel you have to. Because you're afraid of the consequences. You feel you have to obey. You're kind of doing it voluntarily, but you really don't want to give up your rights. You feel compelled. So, like, my example of this is driving. There's speed limits posted everywhere. All right? I'm going to tell you that I am not submitting to authority when driving. I am I am complying to the speed limit. Um, because... I don't drive the speed limit because I, I want to. I, I drive the speed limit or near the speed limit because I'm afraid of the consequences. I'm just being honest. That's, but that's, that's the idea of compliance, right? You're doing it because you're either afraid of the consequences or you just feel you have to. You're trapped. You must do it. Uh, it's still voluntary. You're making that choice, but you're, you're, it's, you, you really don't want to. You don't want to give up your rights. And the last way is is submission, right? Voluntarily giving up your rights to put yourself under the authority of others. And so I I just posed some questions. Remember, submission is not just for women. It's for all of us. 
So as we think about this word, let's think about this. Uh, I'll start with the question of, are we submitting in our marriage relationships? But I'll go on to say, are we submitting to Christ? As we, as we think about our relationship with Jesus Christ, are we submitting to him? And then lastly, am I submitting to one another, as it said in verse 21? Are we doing that? Just, I'll just leave that out there for us to think about. In Luke 2.51, it says that Jesus submitted himself to Joseph and Mary. Same word. He put himself, he voluntarily gave up his rights and put himself under their authority. Positionally, he was and is above them, right? It says Christ is the head of, head of man. So he is in the authority structure ahead of them, yet he submitted. They were imperfect, and he is sinless. I, I just thought of this question, and how many times did Jesus submit to them when they made a wrong choice and he knew it? How many times did he submit to them? Now, not choices that would put him in a position to disobey his father, but choices that weren't in line with God will, God's will, right? You can't... You can't can't imagine Joseph. I, I guess for myself, right, in parenting with my children, uh, I have to confess that I've made mistakes to them, and so I can't imagine Joseph and Mary uh, were perfect and didn't make mistakes and didn't say or do things that um, were wrong. And yet Jesus submitted himself. Um. He, he submitted himself. And so uh, there was a, this submission. He's a, a great example of, uh, at least to me, of the thought of how headship uh, and submission go hand in hand. Uh, so there's that aspect of it. And there's also this aspect of, uh, I'll say, submitting and uh, how do you submit when there, you, you know, a person maybe in your mind headed in the wrong direction? I mean, Jesus Christ was perfect, right? He knew he knew they were headed in the wrong direction or not. Uh, I am not, right? I, I I may think someone is headed in the wrong direction. Pretty sure Jesus Christ didn't come and say to his parents, "Told you so," or you know. You should have known better. Uh, he submitted to them. And in, in submitting to them, right, he really trusted in the father, that the father was going to take care of whatever, whatever would happen. And uh, in that, he just went with it. He trusted that God was in control. Okay, so second, let's read uh, from Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 31. It says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, 
that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love, ought also to love their wife, own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished, nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The passage moves on to the husbands. He is called to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church in a, a way that he gave up. Paradidimio. Paradidimio. I'm not saying it right. Uh, ask Mike if you would like to get a, a, a clear Greek pronunciation. But it, it has this, this thought that this word is translated in several different ways. And it was surprising to me. Because uh, 34 times it's, it's uh, translated betrayed. It's translated betrayed. Four times commended or committed. Uh, 56 times delivered. Uh, four times has the idea of entrusting. Seven times giving. And handed down or handed over seven times. And then a couple uh, ones or twosies. But that... I. It just surprised me that this word has that idea of betrayal in it as well. Um, but it, ha- it conveys this basic meaning to give over to one's hand to someone or something, especially to give over to the power of another. Um, Galatians 2.20 says this, Paul's talking himself, but then he, uh, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life which I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave paradidomy himself for me. Jesus delivered up his life for us. The church's natural reaction to this love is to reciprocate it with love. First uh, John four nineteen says this: We love him because he first loved us. The action was with him first, and then us. As a body, as a church, we are commanded to love one another as Christ has loved us. John thirteen thirty four: I give you a new commandment that you love one another. As I have loved you, you should also love one another. And Christ's example is in a ought to love their wives as their own body. The sophilio has a meaning of owe, of a debt to owe something, something uh, literally financial indebtedness, and thus means to owe money be in debt, or describe that which is due. Ophelio is, in most of the New Testament's uses, conveys a sense of necessity, duty, or to be under obligation, 
The idea is that one is held or bound by duty, moral obligation, or necessity to do something. So if you take that verse literally, the, the husband is obligated to love his wife. I guess I want to point out that Paul doesn't tell the wife that she is obligated to submit to her husband. Just as Christ, our head, loved us, the church, first, it is the husband who ought to love. But it isn't just an obligation. It's also for his own good as well. If you read, he says, he who loves his wife loves himself. Um, And just as he takes care of his own body by nourishing and cherishing it, he is to nourish and cherish his wife. Christ loves his body so much that he nourished and cherished her. Think about this. He gave us a helper, the Holy Spirit, so that we would not be alone. He gave us his word that the man or woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished in every good work. It's from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Paul says he cherished the Thessalonians. We're going through Thessalonians right now in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7. He cherishes them. As the body of Christ, we are to nourish and cherish one another. I couldn't find any verses specifically that talk about nourishing each other, but uh, we are to build each other up. And uh, one of my favorite passages is iron sharpens iron, so man sharpens the countenance of his friend. This idea of the sharpening of each other, um, fitting ourselves or making ourselves uh, more better, that idea of that is for battle, right? Um, we're in a battle, saints. We're in a battle today. Um, and so we are to nourish and cherish one another, to build each other up, and to care for one another. Just as whoever brought those, uh, those little gifts here for us here, they, that was their way of expressing their love and their care and, and cherishing us who are here at the chapel. Now, I I wouldn't, I mean, today is Valentine's Day, so we got to talk about love, right? Um, We don't have to, but I mean, the passage talks about love and, uh, you know, it's just, it it just needs to be discussed. Now, uh, the definition of true love has been polluted badly by our culture. I'm just, I I don't think there's any other way to say it. Uh, Love has become synonymous with sexual intercourse, pleasure, or something deeply romantic. Uh, That's it. It's something pretty pretty shallow. Uh, The best definition for love I can think of comes from uh, 1 Corinthians 13. You can see it on the screen. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things hopes all things, endures all things. Love 
never fails. Anything that falls outside of the defi- this definition is not agape love. Agape is the Greek word that is used here to describe the love that the husband should have for his wife. So as we think about love and submission, these are really complementing actions. Uh, let's read the, the summary of the verses here. Uh, I've already read 32. It says, this, is a, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and his wife is to see to it that she respects her husband. Love and submission go hand in hand. Um, the Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, that the submit-love relationship is a beautiful mixture of harmonious partnership in marriage. And I would say it goes beyond marriage, right? They, this love and submit relationship is also present in the church, in, a, in the church's relationship with Jesus Christ. He loved us. We're to submit to him. Uh, but it's not just our relationship with Christ, right? It's present in our in a body to one another. We are to love and submit to one another. So there's this, this love and submit relationship to each other uh, that we are called to do, this comp- these complementing actions that the Lord has asked us to do. I, <laughs> I'm going to say this is not easy. Right. Uh, Just it it isn't. Um, I'm not going to pretend it's easy. Um, I'm not going to pretend every situation is is one that. uh, I'll just say in marriage, not every situation is is one where this is uh, where this will be easy, that it's going to be a struggle. I'm not trying to downplay that. I, I think that the clearest picture we get of love is how Christ loved us. And we can think about that as, as the way we, we do this. I, I'll say it's not easy for me, right? We're called to love and submit to each other. <laughs> as I look through 1 Corinthians 13, I ask myself, you know, do I love my fellow believers that way? Do I love them? Sometimes, sometimes not. I, I, I'm just telling you the truth. It's it, it, sometimes we're difficult to love. Sometimes I'm difficult to love. I, I'll be I'll be honest. Uh, that that's that's the truth of it. Do we submit to one another? Do we voluntarily give up our rights? Uh, you know, to them. Maybe we have the right to do something else, and that we want to do. Uh, do we submit to them? I, I, I sometimes I, <laughs> sometimes I comply. I'll just, just to be honest, like, and that, and there's a big difference there, right? It's voluntarily doing it, but it's it's really not desiring, it's not having that desire to give up your rights. You still want that. I think it's ingrained in our American culture, right? That we want our rights. You can see it today outside. We all. We all want our, our rights. And so 
uh, there's difficulty. I don't want to downplay this, but I, I, I think there's this, there, as it said, there's this beautiful picture, this beautiful mixture when we learn to love and submit to one another. In the marriage relationship, in our relationship with Christ as his church, and in our relationship as we deal with one another, there's beauty in loving and submitting to one another. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. These are very, this is a very difficult passage. It has very difficult things in it, not to, maybe even to understand, but maybe not even to understand, but to, but to put in practice. Because we as sinful men and women have, have really um, abused, uh, abused uh, love and our thoughts of love and our thoughts of submission. Lord, help us, help, help us to be filled with the Spirit, to be encouraging one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, to be giving thanks and to be submitting to one another. Lord, help us in that, to not only submit, but to love one another, um, not only while we're here, but all, through our, throughout the weeks, years, however long you have us here, Lord. Help the church, as it says, that we would be defined by our love. Help it, that to be a defining Uh, defining characteristic of us, that we would have love for one another and that have that reciprocal, harmonious response of submitting as well. Thank you for your thoughts here this morning. Um, Thank you for helping helping me uh, to share them. Help each of us as we we think about these things in the upcoming weeks to to, to learn to submit ourselves to you. Uh, there's, there are times when we don't want to submit to you, what you're teaching us, what you're telling us, what you're telling us to do. Um, Father, help us to, to submit to you, not because we feel we have to, but because we... We want to. We want to have that relationship with you. And we want to to love you as you have loved us. Thank you for that love. Especially shown through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in dying for us. We pray in his name. Amen.